everyone. God bless you, and thank you for joining me for this Bible study. Uh, we're going to start out in Roman uh, in Matthew, sorry, Matthew five verse one, Matthew five verse one in the NLT. It says, "One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them." Here begins one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Very simply, it's called Sermon on the Mount because the sermon was given on a mountain. Very simple. That's where Jesus taught it. And the Sermon on the Mount is a teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples. This isn't a teaching that he gave to the vast multitudes. He called his disciples, the people that closely followed him, up on the mountain and, and taught them. So uh, the Sermon on the Mount, just for trivia interest, uh, goes from Matthew 5, verse 3, to Matthew 7, verse 28. And we've, we've heard about the Sermon on the Mount before, uh, but really, really, why is it so important? It's important because these are the very, very words of Jesus came right out, out from the mouth of Jesus, and because the Lord Jesus Christ died to enable us to live by the Sermon on the Mountain. Mount. And also, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, I realize how impossible it is for me to actually uh, do everything that it says. Uh, it shows how much we need a Savior, that we need God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit to help us uh, do what Jesus taught. Um, there's no other, you know, set of passages in scripture that shows us the absolute and ultimate need that we have for the new birth, for the Holy Spirit and his work in us um, to be able to do the things that the Sermon on the Mount teaches. And really, the more you read it, the more you study it, the more you do what it says, the more you will receive the blessings that are promised. We live by it, we practice it, and give ourselves to it, and the promised blessings will come. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of divided into two uh, two different sections. Verses 3 through 14 in chapter 5 are called the Beatitudes, which means supreme blessedness. Now, if there's anything called supreme blessedness, I want to get in on it. How about you? Uh, these Verses of scripture have to do with the things that are on the inside of us. Um, our spiritual birth, spiritual health, our character, our integrity, our maturity, things like that. They tell us these, the first uh, part of the Beatitudes show us what should be going on on our inner man. And then the second part of the Sermon on the Mount is uh, Matthew 5.15 through Matthew 7.28, they deal with how we should live, what our outward actions should be like, uh, how we should actually be acting in, as Christians, or like goals that we should strive for, ways that we should uh, uh, act toward God and toward each other. So I am going to be sharing on the first section of verses, the Beatitudes, or as one definition is, I'm going to be sharing about supreme blessedness. So Jesus didn't leave us, leave us in the dark. The Sermon on the Mount tells us what our character and conduct and our spiritual maturity should be like. It's uh, what is on the inside of us that determines our character and how we act. In Matthew 7, 17, it says, Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit 
but a bad tree bears bad fruit. So what's on the inside of us will uh, be shown on the outside by the fruit that we bear, whether the fruit we have the fruit of righteousness, whether we have the fruit of the spirit, or whether we have the fruit of evil works in our life. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is not a list of religious regulations or formulas that we have to follow to get into heaven. No, it's not like that at all. Um, it's just God telling us, you know, what state our, our, uh, our heart, our soul, and our actions should be. Now, I'm going to read uh, the first few verses of the Sermon on the Mount. It's uh, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 3 through 12. And notice as I'm reading the, these that some of these have a real apparent negative that comes before a positive. So verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I'm going to be teaching on these verses of scriptures, talking about what exactly Jesus was saying, what they meant. And the, uh, the seemingly negative things that I said were, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who mourn, who are meek, who are persecuted. So it's kind of hard to see how that could end up in blessing, but just hang on and I'll show you how. You know, these verses have a lot of the foundation of Christianity in them. And in these verses, Jesus tells us about eight groups of people who are blessed. So blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are those who are persecuted. Um, so... You're going to find out that when Jesus was teaching these things, this is goes really, really contrary to what the disciples were thinking that a religious person would look like. Um, they didn't, in their culture, in their religious culture, being poor in spirit or being meek or being merciful were not the hallmarks of a strong, strong religious person. They weren't the hallmarks of a strong Jewish person. So we can see already that Jesus is kind of ruffling people's feathers as he's talking about this. So I'm going to talk about the first one, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, this didn't go over really good with the disciples because most of the Jews, uh, during that time, the people that Jesus was speaking to were waiting for their Messiah uh, the one who would deliver them. And most thought that the deliverance that they were waiting for, the Messiah that they were waiting for, would come through a show of great and mighty strength, great power, a great military might, or, or just a total political upheaval. 
they were they were looking for a coup against the Roman Empire that that the Jewish nation would be finally released from the Roman Empire. So that that is what almost all of the Jewish people had in their minds when they were waiting for the Messiah. Uh, but Jesus starts out by saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, which really, really was a slap in the face against everything the disciples believed because they were waiting for a macho, macho uh, Messiah to come. Um, the In the Greek, what that means is poor in spirit means absolute poverty, having nothing at all. So what Jesus is really saying that we have to come to God with nothing at all, realizing our sins and our desperate need for him. We can't come to God with uh, our good works. We can't come to God with, you know, I followed these rules and regulations. I, you know, did everything right. I followed the Ten Commandments. We're not supposed to come to the Lord like that. We're supposed to come to the Lord in absolute poverty and repentance. In Matthew 5, 3 in the NLT, it says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for theirs is, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So that's kind of hard to, you know, understand maybe, but uh, I have two examples for you that will help you understand what Jesus was talking about. In Luke uh, 18, Luke 18, verse 10, and I'll let you turn to that while I get a drink of water. Luke 18, verse 10, is a story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, if you're not familiar with Pharisees, they were very religious people that had all kinds of rules and regulations about how to worship, how to live, and uh, they really handcuffed people and made serving the Lord about rules and regulations. So two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like that other man, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So we can see that the tax collector came before God, poor in spirit. The Pharisee came before God, haughty and filled up with himself in his spirit. The tax collector and the Pharisee, you know, the tax collector end up with, ended up with inner righteousness right on the inside the pharisee had righteousness on the outside everything that he did uh, according to other people looked good but god knew his heart and his heart was not good he didn't he was not poor in spirit uh, the pharisees do everything right or did everything right but they were confident of their own righteousness they were perfect in their own eyes and they knew the word of god inside and out but it didn't affect their hearts they were haughty and prideful in their hearts. They were rich in their hearts, but not toward God. The tax collector, on the other hand, uh, was everything wrong about a person in that society. A tax collector in his day was grouped in with the pimps and the prostitutes and the sex traffickers and the mafia. He was a traitor to the Jews, the scum of society, 
And the thing is that, that this type of a person can better sense his desperate situation spiritually and his tremendous need and find it easier to cry out for God's mercy. So that is what being poor in spirit, our bankrupt of spirit and soul, a poor in spirit person has a deep sense of our need for God. And that's what God is saying. A person who is can realize and understand the deep sense that they need God, they need salvation, they need help from the Lord, is a blessed person. In Luke um, 7.36, Luke 7.36, it says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw what he said to himself, this he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, and uh, that she is a sinner. So we see the difference again here between the Pharisee and the person who realized what deep need they were in. Um, the Pharisee didn't consider himself a sinner, so he wasn't poor in this, in this uh, situation at all. He did not feel like he needed a savior. He was uh, filled up with pride, and he looked down on the woman who came before him in repentance. You know, it's really easy to look down on people that are in sin or are doing things that we don't approve of. But we need to pray that, that, that they would come to repentance. And we need to pray for ourselves that we would never look down on a sinner because Jesus did not. Jesus uh, said when they, they've come to him poor in spirit that they are blessed. And the kingdom of heaven is made up of people like that. Um, you know, the, Jesus referred to the Pharisees as basically spiritually dead people, that they, they were blind, they couldn't understand, they couldn't hear, um, they were just so prideful. And I, I read this someplace, and I thought it was really interesting. It says there's two places that have lots of crosses or stars of David and no noticeable sin, a self-righteous person and a cemetery. So a self-righteous person is, is basically dead spiritually on the inside. Both of those things, a self-righteous person and a cemetery, could have lots of crosses and lots of stars of David, but both are stone-cold dead. And we don't want to be in that situation. We want to be alive to God. And it takes humility in coming to him knowing our desperate need for them, for, her, for him. Um, when Jesus talked about poor in spirit, he was talking about bankruptcy, a desperate and deep sense of needing God. If we feel we don't need God, we don't come to him. And if we don't come to him, knowing that we are lost without him, we can never really know him. And we want to know the Lord. Until a person's spirit has been touched and made alive and energized by God's spirit, he is truly spiritually dead. It is not until a person recognizes the poverty of his own soul and spirit <clears throat> that there is any possibility of him coming to know God. 
Uh, it reminds me of a song that was written many years ago, and they used to sing it in all the Billy Graham crusades. It says, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest come to, uh, bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. We come to the Lord Jesus, poor in spirit. We're totally bankrupt, and we come to him, and we ask him to help us to free us from our poverty of spirit. In Psalm 51, verse 17, in the NLT Bible, it says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. We need to come to God just broken and repentant and acknowledging our need for him. So that's what the first beatitude means. Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So if we come to the Lord that way, the kingdom of heaven is ours. If we come to the Lord haughty and prideful and not really thinking that we need salvation so much or that, that we've got it all figured out, then, then we don't fall into that category. So we want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, so we need to come to the Lord with a broken and a bankrupt spirit. You know, next week we're going to talk about the next beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And uh, no one likes to be in mourning, but I'll show you what special thing that this means. Um, and it, it means something different than most people think. Um, and it's going to really um, bless you, I think. It's going to really bless you. So I hope this has helped you. Um, I hope you listen to Pastor Terry mess Terry's message from Sunday. He's been teaching on Jesus, the great storyteller, teaching about the parables of Jesus. And last week he talked about the Good Samaritan. So today is your day to turn your life to God. Come to him with a broken spirit. Repent of your sins. Be broken before him. And, and if you do that and call upon his name, put your trust and faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Um, the kingdom of heaven, you'll inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that's an awesome, awesome promise. Well, I will see you next week. Bye-bye. God bless you.